Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. We were made to worship. And even if you uh, didn't necessarily grow up in any kind of religious background, I think we could all recognize on some level there's something in us that desires to place importance on other things. God did that. He uniquely created us to worship. And of course, that worship was meant for God, but, but what ends up happening is we can wind up diverting that worship to lots of different things. Uh, some choose to worship people or celebrities. Uh, this is even true in the Christian world. Now, people can idolize, which is simply another way of saying worship, by the way. If you idolize something, that's, that's worship. But they can idolize certain pastors or speakers or even song leaders. Some people worship sports. I think everybody knows that in our culture. <laughs> we do. We can worship education. Some worship their work. The ability to achieve, be recognized, and, and make money. Some choose to, to worship the environment. Now, for sure, we're meant to be good stewards of the world in which God created, but we're not meant to worship it. Some people worship adventure, the next great thrill. I have found that even noble things can be elevated to a higher level than they are meant. So even good things like prayer, worship songs, and God's Word. We are actually not meant to worship prayer. We're meant to go to God in prayer. God is the one we're praying to. We are not meant to worship particular songs. We're meant to worship the one of whom we're singing. We're not meant to, meant to, to worship the one in this word. We're meant to worship the one who created the word. And so even in good things, we've got to be careful on our heart posture toward them. And so the, the question we want to address today is where does God and how does God expect us to worship? I, I think those are good questions to consider. If we were made to worship... How can we be sure that we're worshiping the right thing and in the right way? Good news is God has answers, and he gives it to us in his word. So this is what we're going to consider this morning as we continue our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and worship. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. I forget at what point we gave a date. We'll have Bibles back in chairs. I like Bibles in the sanctuary. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab your phone. There's an app called Version. I encourage you to look there. And let me say this too, because I, I find I periodically need to, to make mention, all of our notes are on an app called Version. You look for events, you search for it, you just look for connection point. And so the things I'm going to talk about today are there in outline form, and you're welcome to look it up there every Sunday. That's just kind of an easy way for you to see where we're going in the message. But we're going to take a look at John, the New Testament book of John. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. This might be the longest passage I've ever read. Congratulations. We're going to test your uh, endurance for standing today. <laughs> We're going to be in, in John chapter 4. We're taking a look at verses 1 through 42. It's important we look at the whole section because as we consider Jesus and worship, this is the best text that we have. And uh, so that's what I want us to take a look at and do. And it may be a familiar passage if you grew up in the church. It's Jesus and the woman of Samaria. But starting in verse 1, Here's what John writes. 
Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. I'm not going to mention this in the message, so I'll mention it here, kind of ongoing commentary. I love that it says he had to. There is something in the way as you follow Jesus that he puts something in your heart that compels you to do certain things. And so because he had to go to Samaria, we'll see why he had to go, because there was an important work for Jesus to do. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Don't you love how Jesus just calls things out in your life? (laughs) The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Very wise, very wise. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, as now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God, maybe this is a better message for the uh, title is, God is looking for worshipers. God is looking for, and what we all need to understand is we're all going to worship something, so why not worship a good thing, right? All right, that's extra. (laughs) Just then, his disciples came back. Oh, just kidding. The woman said uh, said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will speak all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, 
So the sower and reaper may rejoice together, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed in his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we've uh, been in this year-long message series for the purpose of helping us to better understand who we are together as the people of God. It's important we know who we are. We're people, we are people who have a king, and we live in a kingdom. We have a guidebook called God's Word, and, and we have this mission to fulfill. So at a very basic level, we know these things, but how we operate through that lens really matters. And so then the question is, is who is this king that we have? We read about him in Psalm 89, and so I want to remind you of who King Jesus is this morning. The psalmist declares, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All heaven will praise your great wonders. Lord, myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness for who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue the storm-tossed ways. The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they walk in the light of your presence. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Praise the Lord forever. What a glorious God we serve. We serve this glorious God whose steadfast love and faithfulness never cease. No matter what comes in our life, no matter the day that you've had, his love and faithfulness is always there. Always there. We have a God who is incredibly worthy of our worship. And what I want to do today is share how it is that we can be true and authentic worshipers of him. And so from our passage this morning, here's what we find. That we can become true worshipers by receiving the gift of God. We can become true worshipers by receiving the gift of God. While the disciples, they, they go into the city to buy food, Jesus sits at a well and he has a conversation with a woman. Jesus asks her for water. The woman is surprised because typically Jews would not drink out of a, a Samaritan vessel in order to avoid being defiled. 
And this is because the Samaritans, they were considered half-breeds, if you don't know some of the history of the the people of Israel. What happened is, is when the Assyrians took Samaria captive, large groups of people from this area were taken out and replaced from peoples from other areas. And so then the intermarriage occurred, and, and, and part of what happened then is the, the people that were brought in, they brought in their worship of, of other gods, and, and so then they just added the worship of Yahweh to the mix. But, but an interesting thing happened is over the course of years, all other worship of all other gods went away except the worship of Yahweh. But another interesting thing that happened is they kind of had their own particular way of, of looking at Yahweh and his word. So they only preferred the books of Moses, so the first five books of our Old Testament, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So then they weren't paying attention to Psalms and prophets. So they were Jews, but then they intermarried and, and had interesting worship and looked at God's word in interesting ways. So this created a tension for Jews and Samaritans. And so then part of the strife, and, and there's a long history there, is, is that when the Jews returned from the Babylonian exile, Samaritans actually helped to, to offer to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but the Jews refused their help because they considered Samaritans as outsiders. And of course, this is really offensive. So then there's this strife that occurs between these people groups. But even with all of this background, Jesus tells the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The word Jesus uses for gift here So the New Testament is written in Greek, and so a big part of this message is doing some word studies because the words in this passage are really, really important. And what we find in the word that he uses there, it stresses the freeness of the gift that God gives. It is completely free. That's the amazing thing about it. Everyone is welcome to receive the the free gift of a new life in Jesus. Everyone. I, I love the inclusive nature of the gospel. It's incredible. And this word that Jesus uses, this is the only time he uses this word. He does this a couple of times with some words in this passage. The only time he uses this word is right here. And so the gift that's being referred to, it is new life. And had the woman been aware of who it was that she's talking to, the one who God had sent to give life and life abundant, she would have been asking him questions, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, if only you could realize. And, And Jesus said, had she asked he would have provided her living water. And this refers to water that flows in comparison with water that would be like in a cistern or a pond that that can kind of turn a bit more stagnant. So Jesus says, I offer you this living water. And what's interesting is you always want to understand the passage, of course, how she's hearing it in the first century to the original hearers. And, And when she hears living water, she also knows that's the water that priests use to cleanse people from defilement. And so what Jesus is saying is, you, and and we already know that he knows her background, right? He says, I offer you water that cleanses you, a work that you can't do yourself. So Jesus offers us, that's how he offers us new life, is because he's the only one that can do that work to make us new. This living water metaphor he uses. But Jesus is providing an even deeper meaning than this. The living water that flows within every believer, it's later explained a couple of chapters later in John, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There it is again. Now this he said about the spirit whom had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
So in his conversation with the woman, Jesus is speaking of the new life that he gives, life connected with the activity of the Spirit. This is what he's offering her, a life of satisfaction. A life without Jesus is a life that dissipates. There is no satisfaction there. But a life with Jesus, he then says that I will quench your thirst. Why? Because my life is eternal, and it's fueled by the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God within us that then compels us to worship Jesus. If you felt compelled to worship Jesus this morning, that's because of the Holy Spirit in you. So for us to be true worshipers, we need the living water of Jesus to, first of all, wash us. And he offers that to us. We cannot clean ourselves, but Jesus can do that work. Only he can provide us a way to be those true worshipers of God. And here's the incredible news. Jesus freely, he freely gives everyone this opportunity. No one's excluded. So the question is, have you received the free gift of a new life in Jesus? If not, man, may you decide to do that today. We always try to take opportunity at the end of our messages to do that. And the cool thing is today, as part of, we try to do water baptisms monthly, so you could say yes to Jesus and be water baptized today. Why not? Talk about new life. It's afforded you today. We want you to enter into that because we could become true worshipers by receiving Jesus and the new life that only he can bring. And then we can become true worshipers of Jesus by living a life of worship. So we become true worshipers as we live this life of worship. So while Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, he mentions that a day is coming when people will neither worship at Mount Gerizim, which is where he's at in Samaria, or at Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem. You see, the Samaritans considered Mount Gerizim to be the original holy mountain. It's where Joshua, when he entered into the land, if you, if you read in Deuteronomy, they were doing blessings and curses that they were standing, they had groups of people on Mount Gerizim announcing blessings for those who follow God and had other people standing across the way on Mount Ebal announcing curses for those that don't follow the way of Yahweh. And so they considered Mount Gerizim to be the Mount of Blessing. They built a temple there. They say this is the original holy mountain, and especially because they don't pay attention to Psalms and prophets, they're not looking to Jerusalem as a holy place. And so this is why Jesus has to identify, I understand this is your holy mountain. I understand the Jews have a holy mountain in Jerusalem, but there's coming a day where that won't matter. Okay, can I tell you? That's a big statement. That's a huge statement for Jesus to make. Here's what he says. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And so what Jesus is saying is worship does not have a set time. It does not have a particular place where worship occurs. That he's removing those boundaries. He's removing those fences to say worship is at all times and in all ways. He just breaks it all up. Worship of God is no longer defined by time or space. It would no longer just happen at festivals or specific locations. And we got to consider that today. Our worship is boundless. It's boundless. We can worship God at any time of the day and any activity, wherever we're at. We worship God. Here's the statement this morning. We worship God in the arena of life, that our whole life is meant to be a life of worship. You know, yes, we come together on a Sunday morning, but our worship at God extends far beyond this encounter that we have together. Our daily work, our words, 
our actions, our thoughts, our whole life is worship of God. It's meant to be at least. So I'm thinking about, you know, summer's going fast and teachers are going to be back in the classroom before they know it. And as they create lesson plans and grade papers, those can be acts of worship. Depending on the words that you use, you think about this. Are they glorifying God? Do they edify others? You think about students and and them completing assignments, participating in class. All of these things can be acts of worship. A stay-at-home mom and the way that she cares for her kids, man, those are acts of worship. It's all about the posture of our hearts, the maturing of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and the use of Spirit's gifts that determines how we live as worshipers of God. That's what it's all about, that we can become true worshipers of Jesus by living a life of worship. And then we can become true worshipers of Jesus by worshiping in spirit and in truth, Jesus says. So during this conversation, Jesus defines true worshipers as those who worship in spirit and truth. That's his definition. And the word that Jesus uses for worshipers, again, this is the only time he uses this particular word. So if we want to know what the definition of a worshiper is, this is the verse. And what we find is the word that he's using there, it's all about our posture. Is it one of surrender and submission to God? That's really the question. And everything that we do is God being glorified. And the word that Jesus uses here, it's important because then he goes on to define, well, what does a worshiper do? What what do they do in, in worship? He says, number one, they've got to be true. They've got to be authentic in their heart posture. But secondarily, they've got to worship in spirit and truth. And, and so in spirit, the way that Jesus uses this term, the way they would have understand it when he spoke it, it was the seat of one's emotions, their intellectual functions, and the attitude of their will. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, if we respond in spirit, we engage our whole being, our emotions, our intellect, and our will. And what I actually have found oftentimes is worship is sometimes we lean toward one of those, right? Like we can be super emotional, but like detach our brains. Okay, God doesn't say we should do that. Or we can be so heady, we have no emotion attached to it, right? Am I speaking truth this morning? So what I'm saying is Jesus wants all of us. He gave you emotion. He gave you a mind and he gave you a will that's meant to be surrendered to him. So to worship in spirit is emotionally, intellectually, and willfully. But then he also says that we worship not only in spirit, but in truth. That truth is defined as someone's speech, their actions, and in their thoughts. Because those things reveal who we are, right? That's the truth about us in terms of what we say, what we do, and what we think. And so what Jesus is saying is is that those who worship in truth, they do that in all three of those areas. So to be true worshipers, authentic worshipers of Jesus, we engage our emotion, our intellect, and our will And that's expressed in our speech, our actions, and in our uh, thoughts. Does that make sense this morning? True worshipers are holistically worshipers with all that they are. So the good news is for you this morning is if you feel like, well, I'm not a good singer. There's so much more to worship than singing. So much more. God made you uniquely you, and he expects that we can approach him with a heart of worship. In fact, this summary of what it means to be a true worshiper is very close to what we find in terms of the great commandment, where we find in Luke chapter 10, where someone quoting that commandment, he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. In other words, with everything. That's what it is to be a true worshiper. 
So a true worshiper then is someone who not only knows of Jesus intellectually and emotionally, but someone who has a consuming passion to live intensely and completely for Jesus every single moment of every single day. That's what a worshiper is. You may come on a Sunday morning and sing a few songs, but here's a good question. Is your heart really in it? Because how many know you can sing songs but not be worshiping, right? So as we engage in song, as we engage in giving, as we engage in prayer, as we listen to God's word, all of those are opportunities to engage our entire being in worship. And then as we go about our day and, and our daily activities and what we say and what we do and what we think is God being glorified, because that's worship. To become true worshipers of Jesus, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we can become true worshipers by recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. After Jesus tells the woman that there's going to come a day when people are not restricted in their worship, but that they can worship everywhere and in every way, the woman proceeds to say, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus basically replies, I am. I am the Messiah. I shared in the first message from the series, Jesus and the good news about the kingdom, that the people of God had been waiting for the Messiah to come. They had this expectancy of, I believe he's coming. Even the Samaritans, they weren't looking for a David-like figure like the Jews, but they still know that Moses told them in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So there's this expectation, the Samaritans thinking someone like Moses would come, that he, the Messiah, would come and set all things straight, that he would usher in the day of the Lord where God would break in in a dramatic way because God was going to rule, that his kingdom would be established. And Jesus declares to the woman, I am the Messiah. The day of the Lord has arrived. The moment you've been waiting for, it's now here. When we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited one, we have something and we have someone to worship because he came to set all things straight. He has conquered sin, death, and the devil. Before he came, people, think about this, people were living in the age of Satan's rule. Who wants to live in that day? But we get to live in the day of God's rule. And I understand there's days where it feels like he's not, but guess what? He is. Jesus is on the throne. Those are the days we're living in. And that's why we can worship him because he did something no one else could do. He did it and he's going to come back and do it finally and completely one day. And so we're, we're working for the day of when Jesus comes again in finality. But guess what? His kingdom's already been unleashed. His kingdom is advancing. And there's people in the world that would not recognize it, but it's happening. God's kingdom is advancing. Even places like Iran. You want to know the fastest growing church in the world? Iran. Who would guess that? God's kingdom is advancing all around the world today. And he advances in very interesting ways, and I think we miss that sometimes. God advances through the enduring love of his suffering saints. He always has, and he always will. The enduring love of his suffering saints, that's how his kingdom advances that Christ leads his true worshipers. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. This is a really interesting verse. It says that he leads his true worshipers in triumphal procession, and through them 
He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So guess what? You smell. The question is, what do you smell like? Right? You're, a fragr- you're meant to be a fragrance of God everywhere you go. I love that. When you recognize who Jesus is and what he's done, you can't help but want to worship him. I think sometimes we get so distracted in our day-to-day life, we forget the work of Jesus, and then we can forget to worship. So let's not forget what Jesus did. Do you realize what he's done? If you're new to Connection Point, maybe you've come in the last few months, I encourage you, go back and listen to that first message from this series. It's so important because it explains who Jesus is and why he's worthy of our worship. Jesus and the good news of the kingdom because we can become true worshipers of Jesus by recognizing he's the Messiah. And we can become true worshipers by telling others about Jesus, the Savior of the world. We become true worshipers by telling others about who Jesus is, recognizes the Savior. I love what this woman does once she learns that Jesus might be. So even right now, she's not even convinced, but she wonders. And so she goes back into town and she tells everyone, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Again, I'm waiting for this prophet to come from Deuteronomy. Can this be the Christ? I mean, she's not even sure, but she still compels others to come and see him. Because upon encountering him, she knows there's something different about Jesus. If you've had a real encounter with Jesus, you know there's something different. Sometimes maybe the Lord compels you to come into a place like this and and you walk into a service and And all of a sudden you feel something different. You're like, what is that? Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. And when you encounter him, even if you're not even sure what that is, there is something that compels us to say, I want others to experience this too. And so the townspeople, they come to Jesus and many believe because of what he shares. And they tell the Samaritan woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I think sometimes we take it upon us like we've got to help people arrive at a conclusion. But can I tell you, we don't. We simply need to provide the invitation. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that work. I love that this woman was becoming a true worshiper of Jesus as she began to worship in her actions, in her speech, and in her thoughts. That's what compelled her. She she started to live as a true worshiper in truth. She talks about Jesus with the townspeople, and they come out to meet him. And once they've encountered him, many others become true worshipers of him, too. And the natural outgrowth of our worship of Jesus is a heart to share him so that others might become true worshipers of Jesus, too. Because I mentioned this morning, all the people around us, friends and families and neighbors and coworkers, we're all going to worship something. So we need to help people worship the right thing. The only thing that can truly satisfy and bring fulfillment in life. And his name is Jesus. Because everything apart from God, it falls short. We know it. Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship. He's the only one who offers the free gift of true liberty and salvation for all time. So sharing Jesus really is an important part of worship of Jesus. And we can become true worshipers by telling others. And the last point this morning is that true worshipers are fulfilled. They're fulfilled doing God's work. True worshipers are fulfilled. I know when someone is worshiping the Lord is they get to share stories of the fulfillment in their life of serving him. While the woman goes back into town to tell others about Jesus, the disciples come back 
to where Jesus is at at the well, and, and they bring food. They encourage him to eat something. But Jesus tells them, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples then wonder if Jesus has already eaten, but Jesus goes on to explain, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. And from finishing his work, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you get to gather the harvest. When we worship Jesus emotionally, intellectually, and willfully in our speech, in our actions, in our thoughts, we become fulfilled in a way that nothing else in life can compare to. It just happens. Jesus gives us purpose like nothing else can. It's like the difference between drinking from living water and stagnant water because Jesus is talking about this. I offer living water. So I want to show you a couple of pictures. First picture is... That is called living water. It is moving. Doesn't that look good? I hope we can drink from it. Never know today, right? But still, that looks right. Now let's take a look at stagnant water. Mmm, I'm not drinking out of that one, right? This is the difference of the life we're offered. But think about the life that we live. How many have ever lived a stagnant life? Even if for just for a time. I know I have. But how many have lived a living life, a spirit-led life. They are so different, opposite of one another. And we're offered that living water life in Jesus. Why wouldn't we choose that? The purpose Jesus gives us in life as we worship and live on mission for him cannot be compared to anything else that this life offers. Jesus says, I love this phrase, what joy awaits those who plant and harvest. Like there, what he says is joy is waiting for you there. Joy is waiting for you. We are invited to harvest where others have already done the work. The question is, are we finding nourishment? Are we finding purpose in doing the work God has prepared for us? Or are we trying to invent and make up our own sense of fulfillment? I think it's so easy to do that in our culture. <clears throat> but I encourage you, Enter into the good works Jesus has prepared by spending time with him in the morning or in the evening or all throughout your day. Spend time in scripture. Engage your emotion, your, your intellect, and your will. And then what happens as you do that, you can go out and in speech and action and thought glorify his name and a harvest is waiting. A harvest is waiting. And let me say, Shelly, can I get that water? <coughs> I am getting dry. Good news is I'm almost done, right? Don't say amen. Thank you. <laughs> I firmly believe in the greater Lafayette area. There's a harvest waiting. So let me just say that. I firmly believe in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And I, I also firmly believe <clears throat> part of the effect of, of COVID and isolation has had people asking questions. And the question is, are we willing to help be there to help provide the answers? There's a harvest waiting that we can participate in. Will you be a part? Will you be a harvester? We can become true worshipers of Jesus by worshiping with all that we are and everything that we do and everywhere that we go. 
That's a true worshiper. We find in our passage that the disciples, they went into town looking for bread for food while Jesus stayed at the well to change a woman's life. The woman is so amazed at what Jesus has to say, she goes back into town to tell others about him. The disciples, they return from town with bread while the woman returns with people. I love the difference of those two things. Did the disciples know who Jesus was? Absolutely. Did they take the time to share that where they went? Obviously not, but this woman did. And so then I wonder, as we live in this area, are we simply going to our workplaces to get food and provision, or could we also be going for the people? I feel like the Lord gives us the opportunity to, to choose one of those things. And let me say, we get both of those things. Isn't it awesome that the Lord provides for us, and in that place, he provides for us people to minister to? Can we go into our neighborhoods and workplaces not only seeing what we need, but to see what Jesus sees. People who need to know who the Savior of the world is. Because that's what those townspeople needed to see. And they got to because the woman had that mindset. So I encourage us this week as we approach our neighborhoods and workplaces, approach with a different mindset. Don't just go for a paycheck. Also go for the people. God has you there uniquely. Guess what? I'm not in your workplace, but you are. And Jesus has given you more than you need to be that witness of him. So as a true worshiper, engage with him. So let me say, our doing for Jesus Jesus always has to come out of our being with Jesus. If you're not being with Jesus, it's going to be really hard for you to function like Jesus, right? So be with him first. Spend time with him in the morning and singing and prayer and, and in Bible reading. And then worship throughout your day, through your speech, through your actions and your thoughts. What could our homes look like if we regularly worship God? by speaking life-giving words throughout our day? What could our neighborhoods look like if we found simple ways to serve our neighbors in our actions? What could our workplaces, how could they be different if we showed up not just for the paycheck, but also for the people? I say let's be true worshipers this week. Let's find out what could happen in our, our area too. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing I want to ask, are you here today and you realize you've not really been a true worshiper of Jesus? You might have been following Jesus for some years, but are you really truly worshiping him in everything? So let me start there this morning, that maybe today you'd realize you know who Jesus is intellectually, maybe you've engaged with him a bit emotionally, but you've really never worshiped him with all that you are. But today you'd like a commitment, make a commitment to say, I want to worship him truly, as a true worshiper, because that's what Jesus said, is his, he's wanting to raise up worshipers. He's inviting worshipers to be a part of his kingdom. So with every head bowed this morning, just eye closed, just between you and me, I just want to pray with you this morning. As your pastor, just want to pray that the Lord inspires you. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the work. He's the one that compels us. We just have to say yes, to say that's the lifestyle I want to live. So who you're here today would say, I want to be that true worshiper to worship in spirit and in truth. I haven't been there, but I'd like to be. Who here today would say that's me? I want to worship you more, Jesus. I want to have a heart of worship, a posture of worship, a one of surrender to you. In the middle, anybody else? So I just want to be a true worshiper of you. I haven't been, but want to be. You may have known Jesus, but maybe just really haven't been a worshiper of him. God, I just ask for each and every one in this room, Lord, help us to have a heart of worship. And the songs 
that we sing. I, I pray we don't just sing words, but Lord, that we truly worship you in those words. God, in, in the prayers that we pray, may it be about a conversation with you and an opportunity to listen to you. God, as we read your word, may we read it as a, a book that helps us to better understand who you are, to grow our relationship in you. And, and so, Jesus, I pray we become true worshipers by abiding in you. But then, Lord, as we, we go about our day and our, our words and our actions and our thoughts, I pray that your name be glorified. Lead us that way, we pray in your name. Amen. Second question this morning is, uh, maybe you're here, but you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You can't be a worshiper of him if you don't choose to follow him. And we want to make sure that you've got a space for that. So the first invitation was one, maybe you've made that decision, but you just really haven't been a true worshiper. But I would say, I want to invite you to be a true worshiper of Jesus by saying, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to truly worship him. I want to accept that free gift that that Samaritan woman received. It's offered you today too, freely. So again, with just heads bowed and eyes closed, I want, I want an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus and worship him and follow him and be given that free gift of a new life that he offers us. So who here today would say, that's me? I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to surrender my life to you. Become a worshiper of you and, and live in that living water, drinking from that and not the stagnant water that this life offers us. Who here today would say, that's me? I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. God, I just pray that as we head into water baptism now, I pray, Jesus, that if you're stirring in people's hearts, that they would have a heart to respond to you, that they would have a heart to follow you as they see the testimonies of people who have made that decision to, to not only follow you <clears throat> in accepting that free gift of salvation, but, Lord, to follow you in water baptism. I pray, Jesus, that you would compel hearts to, to respond to you this morning. And Lord, we trust you for that work that you're doing in all of our lives, helping us become more like you, Lord. And Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.